welcome to the test episode of Let's Finally Watch This. I am one of your hosts, Timothy Deal. I am the other host, Nick Hayden. And hopefully you know us from Derailed Trains of Thoughts and the Weekly Hijack. If not, go check out those podcasts after you finish this one. Yes, after you finish this one. You don't have to do that now. Um, but this is kind of a new venture we're trying out. There's plenty of movies out there that we've always meant to see. Like cl- good classics like, oh yeah, someday maybe, maybe that. So we thought, hey, let's make a podcast out of that. Yeah, it gives us an excuse to do it. And maybe we you'll learn some movies you should watch. And maybe we'll tell you, no, don't don't bother. <laughs> yeah, I guess the idea of this is sort of like a book club with film. This is meant for people who may or may not have watched the movies that we'll be talking about. Um, if you haven't watched it, we will try to keep it general, but also give you some insights into the era in which this film was made. That's going to be kind of our shtick. We're going to pick one movie from each decade moving from 1922. That's right. So every film we talk about, this is an anniversary year in the year of our Lord 2022. Um, but we're going to start today. This is, like I said, this is kind of a test episode because we really wanted to differentiate this from our other reaction podcast, The Weekly Hijack. So we're gonna, we wanted to kind of test this out, test the waters, and maybe this will also be kind of a sneak peek for those of you. Because normally we'll, we're going to do 10 episodes per season. This is going to be a limited run show, essentially. But we might have a bonus episode here or there. And we're starting this this one off with a film from 1902. Way back in the battle days of film. <laughs> Way back in the experimental phase, basically. <laughs> this movie is called A Trip to the Moon, or in the original French, Le Voyage dans la Lune. Very nice. I presume. I'm not, I don't speak fluent French, so... Forgive me, French speakers, if I am way off. But yes, so A Trip to the Moon from 1902. But before we dive into the movie, let's talk a little bit about what was going on in the world of film in 1902. Kind of set the stage here. Like you said, it's experimental stage. There's movie theaters are just starting to be a thing. The first movie theater in Los Angeles was established this year in 1902 on April 2nd. Uh, movies, are, yeah, they're very much still a novelty. They tend to be much shorter subjects than what we think of in terms of film nowadays. Think For instance, of, this movie's only 12 minutes, the version I watched. Yeah. Depends on frame rate. But, 12 to 15 minutes. Yeah. But this was a long movie back in those days, tended to be... Usually films are still very short subjects showing like everyday life or maybe celebrities such as bodybuilders or Harry Houdini. So, yeah, this was still when the film was in its novelty period. And this particular movie, A Trip to the Moon, was uh, written and directed and starred. I'm going to mess up the last name. Yeah, not French either. <laughs> George Méliès? Méliès, I think. Méliès. Okay. Méliès, I think, I think you got it right. From what I remember from the movie Hugo. That's where I learned about him too, Hugo, which if you've not seen, is also a good movie. It is a good movie. It talks all about his career. But anyway, this particular movie, A Trip to the Moon, actually, I guess we should say a little bit more about Méliès. He was a magician turned filmmaker. I think some of that is evident in this. He was really came up with interesting theatrical ways of doing story on film. I mean, most of the films are lost from my understanding. Well, a good portion of them are. I don't have that up in front of me. And I'll be honest, folks, a lot of this information we're getting, we are pulling a lot from Wikipedia. This is not super scholarly podcast, but Wikipedia is a nice jumping off point. I guess we should mention that this is a podcast just for people like film. We're not, well, I'm not a film student. I was a film (laughs) student. uh, And we're just watching it, seeing if we like it, see how it works, try to place it in its time period. Yeah. 
But I know Internet Archive has a number of his films. But again, yeah. I, I I think I read somewhere there's like hundreds he made, didn't? Isn't it something like that? Like yes. a ridiculous number? And I was trying to remind myself how many actually remain. Because he, he was very successful. He started in like the mid-1890s and he stopped... I think 1908 I saw was one of his ones he liked best. Yeah, it was one of the ones he liked. I think he stopped, he really stopped filming. He was largely forgotten and financially ruined by December 1925. And so a lot of his films were lost. Some of them were like melted down. Like his his studio was possessed by the French army at some point. And some of his films were melted down for silver during World War I. But even by the 1920s, people were rediscovering him saying, oh, wow. Yeah. He was a pioneer of film. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, here it is. This is what I was looking for. Due to a variety of factors, only roughly 200 out of only over 500 of Melee's films remain in existence today. So 200 is not bad. Not bad, yeah. But I mean, and granted, these are much, again, shorter. These are not feature film length yeah. productions. But anyway, let's, uh, let's transition from talking about the year and the filmmaker a little bit more to A Trip to the Moon itself. This is a sci-fi fantasy movie about a group of scientists who travel to the moon via capsule loaded in a cannon. Once on the moon, they sleep under the stars, encounter fantastical landscapes, get captured by the native moon people, and escape back to Earth. And as we mentioned earlier, it's an unusually long movie for its day, about 12 to 15 minutes, depending on the frame rate. It's interesting, when I was looking at stuff about this period of film, uh, a lot of movies from this period, they talk about length in terms of the amount of film that was recorded, because at that time there was the standard f- rates that the film went through the projector. Mm-hmm. So how long the film was just depending on how fast you <laughs> ran it. So the how only fast way- the hamsters were turning the wheel. I guess so. <laughs> so the only, the only standard by which you could measure the length of it was literally the length, the, length. the physical length of, of, of the film tape. Huh. So that's why most versions of this movie you'll see are somewhere between 12 to 15 minutes. It just depends on how people play it. This is a silent film, though the exhibitors of Melee's film often provided music, narration, sound effects. Obviously, all these things would have been done live, yeah. like while you're into theater. Like radio later. And or- I think there are moments in this you can kind of see how like it'd be hard to understand what was going on if like... It is hard to understand what's going on. It'd help if someone was like talking more about... Yeah, if you're narrating it or you have some... Yeah, it would help a lot. Yeah. Obviously, the natural format of it is black and white, although back in the day, they did hand paint some copies of the film, which meant that you would have had to have each frame, every single frame, someone would have to go through and paint kind of like a color in paint by numbers sort of thing. It's kind of a factory line from what I was looking at. Yeah. And the colored version of it is interesting. Most of the time when you talk about colorizing black and white movies, it's a bad thing because they've done it way later and it it doesn't look natural at all. And this, you're not going to say that this painted black and white frames are going to look natural, but it, I don't know. It's an interesting, it's still an interesting look. And I think it kind of adds something to the dreamlike quality of this. Even though I did, I did watch the film in black and white. I don't know. I think the colored version is kind of interesting too. But there's not one score for this film. It depends how you watched it. Or where you watched it. That's true. I mean, I watched it on YouTube and I listened to, there's like a brass band that did their own soundtrack for it. Yeah, watch it on YouTube, but ours had absolutely no music at all. That is interesting. Since this movie is old enough, it's in the public domain. So yeah. there's probably a lots of different versions, lots of different soundtracks you can listen to with this film. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew this, but I think Riff Tracks did a version, covered this at some point. Oh, really? Yeah, and their version has some sort of like, uh, it sounds like classic Hollywood kind of oh, yeah. orchestral s- soundtrack. 
which it works. <laughs> mm, let me see. Oh, I got this, guys. My French is good. The Fast and the Furious go to space. Finally. So, next question. We've talked a little bit more, giving you a little bit more details about this movie, but why is this well-known? First off, was this a success upon release? Because not every film that that's, is famous today was originally successful. It was it was very famous. I mean, at first he had trouble selling it. It was very expensive for the time. Mm-hmm. But it went off like people loved it. It played for months, I think. Yeah, because it was it was such a fantastical experience that people would co- come to it and like I think there were there were some theaters that would just continually play it. Yeah. And this time even if you didn't play a movie in a dedicated movie theater, they still sometimes played it at like fairs and festivals. Yeah, I think that's where it was released, I think in one of these giant fairs. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of the movies weren't narrative at the time, or at least not in this sort of fantastical way, it was the audience were like, "Oh, this is great." With big sets yeah. and like, yeah. And not, and not about a person or, you know. Yeah. yeah. So one of the most iconic shots of this that probably a lot of people would recognize, even though they didn't know where it was from, was the shot of the man in the moon and then the capsule landing in his eye. Yep. So that's that's a famous I feel like I saw that in like Muppet Babies. Yeah, back. probably. <laughs> Muppet Babies used to use stock footage yep. from all sort all over the place. So if, if you've never seen anything else from a trip to the moon, you might have seen that somewhere. Yes. And then it, I think it stayed being famous partly because he just used, he pioneered so many different types of shots and um, I guess movie technology and yeah and, and narrative formats things that hadn't been set on yet yeah special effects and editing were from when I was reading or watching I watched some YouTube videos about George Millais too he had used some of these techniques in prior things before but this was for one thing was his first one of these longer fantastical yeah. movies which he would he would go on to do several more in this kind of style but also just using a lot in altogether, not just as a gimmick, which some of the other ones were just experiments. Let's see yeah. what we can do with this. So this one's like, no, th- these are all things that help tell the story of these crazy people on the moon and how they got there and how they got back. And we'll talk about that some a little bit more when we get into the analysis and the highlights section. I mean, this movie is in the thousand one movies you need to see before you die, which is a book mm-hmm. my wife owns. Yeah, it's not just successful in the back in the day, but it's last the test of time. A couple important people who uh, have talked about melees and how much they impacted the the production of film. D.W. Griffith, who is the director of The Birth of a Nation okay. and um, Intolerance, two epic silent films from the 1910s. He said regarding melees, I owe him everything. On Wikipedia, it also mentions Edwin S. Porter, who was an American filmmaker. Again, Melee's was French. But Porter was an American filmmaker who did The Great Train Robbery. is okay, probably one yep. of his most famous narrative films that he did in America. According to the quote here, he once said that um, by seeing A Trip to the Moon, he came to the conclusion that a picture telling a story might draw the customers back to the theaters and uh, set to work in this direction. Film scholar Edward Wagengnet I'm probably not saying that Very right nice, at all. Yeah. <laughs> Once said that because Melee has profoundly influenced both Porter and Griffith and through them the whole course of American filmmaking. So it's just a fundamental building block from where we have cinema. I mean, it's weird that the thing that there's sometimes there's tricks that we take for granted in how film works that people didn't necessarily back in the day. And even the fact that, you know, that a narrative film might be, like, commercially important. (laughs) Yes. You know? Uh Uh-huh. And it was so commercially valuable that it was pirated a lot in America, actually. (laughs) Melee's had to send, I think it was his 
brother, a relative of some sort, to go set up an office in America, basically for the purpose of combating piracy. Wow. Mainly from Thomas Edison's company, who was, <laughs> Edison was a very unscrupulous businessman. Yeah. Just ask Tesla. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So anyway, that's an overview of A Trip to the Moon, at least the history behind it. But now let's talk a little bit about our history and uh, what we thought about this thing. First off, had you seen this before at all, Nick? I had not seen it. I think I would seen snippets, especially the, you know, the man in the moon rocket thing, just little, mm-hmm. little scenes. But I had never seen the whole thing, but it always been, because I didn't realize it like was quite as old as it is. I just knew it was one of these old, important films. 120 then, years old. And then, you know, watching Hugo, and like, oh, okay, I know more of context. And that was probably my closest to actually watching it I ever got before. Sure. I think I first saw this. This is not my first time seeing this one. Yeah. Hopefully, the majority of the films that we'll talk on this podcast, this will be my first time seeing. But I had seen this one back in editing class, actually, okay. in film school. So I have a little bit of familiarity with it. But again, I'll talk more about the what really impressed me about editing in a minute. But first, we thought it'd be fun since, like I said, this is going to be more of a... We don't want to focus on instant reactions quite as much as we do with the Weekly Hijack. So we'll watch it, and then we'll, we'll go and think and research and stuff, and then come back to you a little later. But we'd, it'd be, it would be fun to share some highlights of uh, what we thought when we first saw it. So that for that, let's hear some sound bits. So, so you watched this with your wife, Natasha? Yes. Was she willing to grace our podcast with her lovely voice? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... She, she did not have any thoughts that she wanted to share about it. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, well, you'll get to hear Janelle in a little bit, but what were your initial thoughts? Let's hear All right. Uh, just finished watching A Trip to the Moon. I guess, first off, it's really weird watching a sh- movie with absolutely no sound at all, especially when there's tons of action going on and you're like, I need something. But simultaneously, I think that it's really very compelling for being silent and 120 years old. And we had a lot of fun just with how violently they treated all the moon men. And it, I mean, the the sets and the everything was just very extravagant and you can see kind of how it would be a fascinating thing to watch, even without any sound. It just it just moves, and I don't know. I just, it was it was different, but enjoyable. What a strange little journey! It kind of reminded me of ballet and of plays at first, in that you could only tell by gesture what was going on, and the old guys at the beginning looked like wizards. Because of their pointy hats. And how did they get back to Earth? That wasn't clear. They fell, obviously. They jumped off the moon and fell. (laughs) Also, those women that opened doors and stuff. I wonder if their shorts were considered scandalous at the time. (laughs) And we're back. So that was both of our instant reactions. This is a sound, but yes, a snippet for you there. So was your wife in agreement with you? Was she as riveted by this movie as no, you No, she she said later, not instantly, but as she thought about that the first two minutes felt like 12 minutes, the 15 minutes. So <laughs> them sitting in the room when they're just yelling and like waving arms and gesticulating, 
It's very confusing. Like she said, she said that she had forgotten it was called a trip to the moon. And she's like, what is going on? <laughs> and which is true. I mean, the beginning part is a little, that's where a narration or something would be useful, especially helpful. By the time they get to the, the labs or whatever, you can start seeing more of a narrative thread. But before then, it's just like, what um, are they, what are they talking what, about? Why they're all screaming at each other. What is this about? Right. Yeah. If I remember right, Rift Tracks has fun of that section. It's got, <laughs> you can see that. I can't tell if they're celebrating or trying to kill each other. Did, did the Lakers win the finals again? It's like, why is it, and we need widescreen so we can see what's actually on the chalkboard. <laughs> Which you can see, you can see the, the moon there, but not easily. Yeah, you, you know, I feel like I've seen different versions. When I was looking at different things, I was like, some versions of this that's easier to see the chalkboard than others. Okay, so it must just be whichever the print, print, the print yeah. you have. Yeah, okay. I would, I'd imagine. Yeah. For people who haven't seen this thing, we're not going to go into super depth, but hopefully these our conversations here will be a nice, give you a flavor for what this thing is like. Yeah, this is our hope where we we'll say, hey, here's what worked for us and here's why. Yeah, a deeper sense of our initial reaction, I guess. Uh, of our thought process yeah. about all this. A couple highlights I thought it'd be useful to talk about. What has stuck with us the most about this one? And so I've been kind of toying around it. The reason why we watched this film for an editing class was, like I said, this is not the first time Melee's used some of these tricks, but it's such an oppressive array of them here. For one thing, the, okay, so the whole, like, you're hitting the alien and it disappears in a puff yeah. of smoke. I used to do that when I wasn't, like, 12 years old with my camera. Like, stop it. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's basically, it's an editing trick. You're, but it's harder with the Yeah, I mean, it, it's the same, it's basically the same thing the way they used to do lightsabers in the original Star Wars. You know, the, mm-hmm. the actor holds with his lightsaber and then they, someone comes and puts it in place and then they start moving again. Yeah. And in the editing, you just remove the blank space. Yeah. Same thing here. You're, you're creating something there by removing the, the edit. Yeah. The, the empty space in between him moving the umbrella, hitting the, or hitting something. Yeah. And a puff of smoke. And that's all over the place in here. Like even the, the capsule landing in the eye, I think is probably an edit. You know, it's a, yeah. It's interesting talking about special effects. And I didn't realize this, but when the moon gets closer, the face in the moon. Mm hmm. Like, it's not a zoom in, you know, but you don't do that then. You're not moving the camera either. They had the guy on a, like, on a chair that was, like, pulled forward. Oh, interesting. I did not read about that. Because I guess the camera, moving a heavy camera back then was a pain. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but most of these shots are very wide back. I mean, there's there's a very theatrical quality to this. That's what stuck with me most since I've seen it, is just, they were just very extravagant sets. You know, they were very, I mean... And I think that was what made part of it. What made it work is that it just like it feels very otherworldly because you just have giant rocket ship and giant moon and weird caves, and it just feels very like they're really trying to sell this story. Yeah, and I, I thought that was really good. And it does. I think it helps to the dreamlike quality. I think of this this movie because you really do feel like this is a weird foreign environment. You just put an umbrella on the ground and it turned into a mushroom. Yeah. I, and I guess, you know, if you've not watched it, we really do need to emphasize it is a very surreal almost yeah. sort of story. And it, and that's to its benefit in this case, I yeah. think. So there's a sequence where the professors, the men on the trip, they lie down for a nap or something. And then there are stars that show up above them. And this is another special effect technique. This is a, kind of an in-camera effect okay. where they're basically, they're recording or filming, I should say, over using the same film, strip of film twice. Okay. You have a long sequence of just the guys, you know, lying there, and then there's a big black area above them. And they re-roll it. And then and they re-roll it, it and, and re-film it with the people there 
Um, so you've got two people that are basically on the same roll of film. Yeah. Um, it's this kind of stuff that we do now with like computer. Green screens and stuff. Well, green screen, yeah. And, and computers, you can just drag and drop things. But back then, you were dealing with physical. A mm-hmm. physical medium and how do you manipulate that? Again, this is not the first time these tricks were used, but they were used in a really convincing or I don't know, convincing. You're not going to look and say, "Oh, that's real." I know that's flamboyant. real. Flamboyant, flamboyant, <laughs> I guess. But in, in a, again, a way that tells a story. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, there's always like an interest to what's going to happen. And again, things don't necessarily make direct sense thing to thing, but it's always something interesting happening. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, Nick, I think it's time we move from, unless there's any other highlights you really want to talk about. No. All right. So the next segment, we thought it'd be fun to ask a question or two to each other. Give me your first question. Okay. What do you feel about the critics' discussion of anti-imperialism in this You know, film? this is actually going to be my question. So you'd be Okay, to, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing here because, so the travelers don't treat the uh, moon creatures very nice. No, they just beat them into... Yeah, but they, they they show up, and at first you might say, "Oh, self defense." They're threatening him with spears, but like when they get taken into their throne room, they don't just like make a hasty res- escape. They like grab the leader and assassinate him, and then they get back to Earth and they have one of the aliens captured with them, and they kind of like make him dance yeah. like he's a slave or of some sort. It's a funny thing because like for most of the film, you think, okay, these scientists are our protagonists. Yeah. So they, sh- they seem silly and lovable and they're the earthlings. So yeah. we should, but they do act ridiculous in some ways. There's lots of prat falling going around. And then they're like, yeah, they're just mercilessly beating up these moon creatures, which I guess they have a name, which I guess must be from the official narration because they never, you never hear it. And the- no, and I hear that it's pretty, um, their costumes, I guess were really expensive. Selenites, according to Wikipedia, okay. an insectoid alien uh, named after one of the Greek moon goddesses, Selene. Okay. Oh, okay. So that must be it must be in some record somewhere that they referred to them by that name. Because there's no sub. That's the other thing. Other silent movies have subtitles there's or no, like text screens. There's none of that in this one. It's like an early Pixar film. Sure, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. So I yeah I don't know I don't know what, quite what to think of that. Like if Ismele's making fun of the aristocracy, uh, the imperialistic scientists yeah. here, or is he celebrating colonialism? I don't have an answer there. Well, because at first I'm like, oh, it's just, they're just being funny. And then I had read that, you know, some people thought it was a anti-imperialist satire. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I think he's just making a fun movie. And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, it does kind of fit with that reading. I'm uh-huh. not sure I would have read that on it. Well, but I do think it's funny. There's that one shot of them like looking out over the city and all you see is like smokestacks yeah. for some reason. And it has really nothing to do with the rest of the movie. I'm always like, well, what is that all about? Is he really saying something about you know an anti-industrial kind of idea there? Yeah. I, I can't tell what he, I can't tell whether he's from my limited n- non-historical knowing him, whether he's just having fun and like just doing scenes or whether he actually he's trying to mock this sort of aristocracy sort of thing. And uh, it's, it's, I would not even think in, when I watch it, I'm like, oh, I just old movie. And then they put that idea in my head. I'm like, okay, I, I can kind of see that. And I don't know if that's one of those, I mean, I hate to bring a 21st century understanding to old movies all yeah. the time, but that is one of those things. I remember even watching film school and we were all like, are the aliens a threat or not? They don't really seem like one. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, it's a curious thing. So I guess that's interesting, even with this old movie, that even in 12 minutes and it's fantastical and surreal, there's still, like, questions you could, you know, if we were doing that sort of, you know, there's still stuff you can 
analyze, analyze and pick apart. Analyze pick apart, which is another reason I think it holds up besides just being well done. Yep. My question for you, Go Nick. Go for it, yes. If you were to plant something on the moon and have it grow to be big, what would you Ooh, plant? I would plant a brownie crumb. Okay, that's a good answer. <laughs> that's a solid answer. I, I like that. You get a giant brownie out of it. That works for me. All right. So that was our analysis section. So now for the final question, Nick, our verdict, a.k.a. is this movie worth it? So first off, what do you think? Do you like this movie? It's a weird question, did I like the movie? (laughs) (laughs) Did you enjoy watching the movie? I I did enjoy watching it, but I'm not sure it's one I would necessarily recommend to people who weren't interested in film history. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure you just show up and be like, oh, yeah, this is now on my list of movies I need to buy to put on my DVD shelf. <laughs> but I did enjoy watching it. I thought it was entertaining. And I, yeah, I, I did not think, oh, man, I wasted 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I feel like I would recommend this to most people. I mean, again, yes, it, you should watch it for the historical reasons. You're not just going to watch it for, hey, this is entertaining and relaxing. No, you watch it for historical. Yeah, that's all I mean, yeah. But I mean, for that reason alone, I think it's certainly worthwhile i mean yeah it no. doesn't take that much commitment either yeah exactly and it's free it's available on youtube you can actually walk on watch on wikipedia as well okay yeah um and the internet archive so it's public domain it's yeah it's not a huge you, time you commitment. might as well watch it basically <laughs> why not why not <laughs> that, that's our verdict why not <laughs> okay <laughs> All right. Well, that was our first movie for let's finally watch this. Probably a little rough. We'll see what this will look like in post or after we go through post for this test episode. But we hope you're in. We've got uh, 10 more movies coming up. The next one, which we are about to go watch, because part of the premise here is that we're not doing instant reactions. So we will watch a movie and then we will record an episode about it a week later. And then watch a new movie. And then watch a new movie. But our next episode, our first episode, technically because we're doing this weird episode of Zero thing, uh, will be Nosferatu, a movie from 1922, a German expressionist silent film, which should be very interesting. The uh, This would be the 100-year anniversary of this film, and it is a Dracula horror movie, or vampire horror, I should say. There's a whole thing, but we'll talk about that next time. <laughs> Any other final thoughts here, Nick? Nope. You have no more thoughts. And <laughs> thoughts are gone. Um, I, I put them in. Never mind. I won't do that reference. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to. Um, let's watch this thing. Or what, <laughs> <You almost said. laughs> I was going to say Daryl Trains a Thought. Every time I say Daryl Trains a Thought, slime from the ceiling. <laughs> Uh, yeah for all you 90s fans you know uh, you can't do that on television <laughs> great I heard that but this no this has been let's finally watch this all of our episodes are available for um, our other podcasts at derailedtrainsofthought.com you can email us at derailedtrains at gmail.com uh, which is still true for this podcast as well uh, hope you'll stay tuned subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice until next time this is Tim this is Nick bye bye bye